This can be found on page 1196 in the Bibles in front of you if you want to use those. So it's 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learnt and have become convicted of, because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that a servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thanks, Wendy. Well, I'm pleased you keep that uh, passage in your Bibles open as I just arrange my library up here with all various bits and bobs. Um, so we're going to be looking at that passage uh, today. And um, as we were looking at this morning, it's, it's quite an exciting, I mean, it's a very exciting Sunday uh, for us as a church. First Sunday of 2020, as uh, Catherine mentioned, that we've got these cards that meant that... Uh, Talk about our verse of the year on one side, which is Hebrews 4.12. We were looking at that this morning. If you missed that, uh, you can find that talk on our websites. Uh, but also, if you flip it over onto the back, if you've got a copy, uh, it's got two of our top goals, our two top goals for 2020. And uh, the first one that we're thinking about this evening is this, which is our Bible teaching goal. That in 2020, by God's grace, we would see lives transformed by God through the application of great Bible teaching week by week. I felt bad reading that out in my head, so it may sound like my Bible teaching is great, which of course it is, but, it, <laughs> but, but actually it, it's not down to the preacher, is it? The message that is great, it's the message itself, isn't it? It's not the preacher, whether it's me or, or Phil or, or, or anyone. The message, the Bible that we have in our hands is what is great. And that is the thing, as we will see this evening, that is going to transform us. But perhaps you're wondering, okay, Bible teaching goal, um, Bishop Hannington, well, maybe you come to this church because you feel that this is a church that takes the Bible seriously. And, well, we would like to say that we do. We do take it seriously. We do see the importance of living by what the Bible says and uh, and applying that in our lives, whether that's in small groups or, or teaching the Bible up front Sunday by Sunday. God willingly, faithfully, why would we need to do this at BH? Well, actually, I actually think it's a really good thing for us to do as a church because scripture is always under attack and it's those same three old enemies that are normally attacking it. The world, the flesh and the devil. Perhaps the world says that the Bible is irrelevant or worse, it is untrue, that it can't be trusted. The Bible is attacking, being attacked in the world. But it's also under attack in us, isn't it? We read something in the Bible and perhaps you think, I don't really want to deal with that. 
as Stephen was saying this morning, we might make excuses when we read something. Well, I'm not really sure it does say that. And we avoid it. But also, there's this spiritual attack as well. The devil does not want us to be people of the word. People who take God's word, the scriptures, seriously. What we're going to see this evening, though, is that it's important that we do because the Bible is God's tool for us. It is the thing that he wants us to have so that we can live lives that look more and more like Jesus. There's always going to be a danger for us to look to something else, to try and innovate outside of the Bible. And Timothy, we just heard, um, thank you Wendy for reading those earlier verses, gives us a bit of context about what Timothy was facing. Now we were looking at 2 Timothy uh, earlier on in 2019. and we learn there, and we see again this evening, some of the pressures that he was under as a, as a new minister in the church, facing all kinds of issues, that, that Timothy, this young church leader, would be tempted to question whether a ministry based on God's word alone will be enough. He will be tempted to question that. Paul wants to bolster him and help him to see, yes, this is enough. It's enough for Timothy 2,000 years ago, and it's enough for us today. Whatever we face, it is God's tool for us. Which is why we want to do this as one of our top goals for this year. Now there's a process, just to explain briefly, I'll try not to to bore you. There's a process into how we think of these. We don't just pluck two ideas out of the air. There's a lot of prayer, there's a lot of uh, thought going into this. We want to uh, think about this as a, as a staff team and, and as a PCC. That's, that's, the, that's the, the chairing council and the church. But we want to think about how can we be involved with what God is doing in us as a church? Where might we be tempted to compromise in the gospel? Where do we need to grow? Where do we need to be strengthened? Where we want to go as a church then is summarised on these cards. And I hope you will pray into these as we think about our Bible teaching goal and our mental health awareness goals for 2020. These are where we want to go as a church, God willing. Well, we've seen then this evening that God says we should view God's word as God's tool for us. It was God's tool for Timothy 2,000 years ago. It's God's tool for us today. And the passage uh, sort of weighs out three ways that this tool works in and through us. And they're really easy to remember. So if you remember nothing else, it's even got actions. So God's word is a tool for our hearts. We do like a heart. You can join in. You don't have to. I'm still stuck in the mix mode from earlier. For our hearts, for our heads, and for our hands. There we go. I can go and sit down now. That's not. So it's easy to remember. God's tool for our hearts, for our heads, and for our hands. It covers the whole of human life. God's word does. So firstly then, let's think about the first one. This is God's tool for us and for our hearts. No, I meant to put for our... This happened last year and I got gaff of the year, I think, because I got my titles wrong. God's tool for us. God's tool for our hearts. If we pick up our Bibles, if you've got your Bibles in front of you and you're able to pick them up and hold on to them and you flip all the way from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 all the way to Revelation 22, it says this in verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed. 
So you flick through all those pages from the very beginning to the very end. The Bible makes this amazing claim that all of it, 100% of it, is God-breathed. Now, there's a big claim that the Bible makes about itself. But what is it getting at? All scripture is God-breathed. Well, the word literally from the Greek means God-breathed. That's just a a straight translation. But if you look in some of the older uh, translations... Um, you often see it translated as inspired. And sometimes people talk about how the Bible is the inspired word of God, which is fine, but sometimes I think that, that misleads people because people were using the word inspired very differently two centuries ago than they are today. When we talk about someone or something being inspired today, it doesn't have the weight that God breathed means. Perhaps you may be listening to, to some really amazing music that a friend has just recommended to you and you really enjoy it and you think, oh, I'm going to start a band. I'm inspired to write my own songs. That's kind of what we mean when we talk about inspired. You, you experience something and it kind of motivates you to do something. As if somehow God's word was were inspired. People thought about what God was like and it kind of inspired them to write the Bible. That's not what the Bible is saying. It's saying it has been God-breathed. God is personally involved in its creation and in its preservation. And we get it, not just because people have been inspired and thought about it nicely, but God's word is given through his messengers who have then written it down. And that happens in different ways in the Bible, doesn't it? We see that as we look through. Sometimes that happens through the prophets. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah we were looking at last year, given messages from God to give to his people that were then written down and preserved for us and put in the Bible for us today. But sometimes we've just seen it uh, at Christmas time. God has given his message, his word through angels, heavenly messengers for people like Mary and Joseph and Zechariah. And the Bible also says, makes this amazing claim in the beginning of Hebrews, that God has spoken through his son, Jesus, that he is the word made flesh. God's communication as the perfect God man. So all scripture then is God breathed. And God's breath is both powerful and personal. Powerful and personal. Because it's God's breath in the very beginning that brought life into being. As he spoke words, life came into being. As he formed man out of the dust, he breathed life into him. God's breath has amazing power. And it is God's breath, God's word that brings life from the dead. Think about Jesus standing at the grave of his friend Lazarus saying, Lazarus, come out. God's breath, God's word has amazing power to give life and to even bring life from the dead. So how does that then impact us today as we read God's word, the Bible? Well, when we read the Bible, God's breath has breathed these words to life through his messengers and now through the Holy Spirit who breathes these words into our hearts. That is what's happening right now as we're sitting here at seven o'clock in Hove. Reading the Bible then is not just 
uh, a matter of entertaining the intellect or learning stuff. But actually, reading the Bible is a deeply spiritual experience. Which is why it's God's tool for our hearts, for our spirits. And look how Paul is reminding Timothy of its effect. We go, just have a look at verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, he says, Remember how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, Timothy, you're going to be tempted to doubt this, to want to innovate, to look for something else. And and we're going to be tempted to to try and find the latest fad or or whatever it is to try and fix whatever mess that we get into in our life or, or when we're feeling low, something to pick us up. Paul says to Timothy and God says to us that the Bible is totally sufficient totally sufficient. This is, this is the big point of this, this passage here that we're looking at and what we want to see as a church in 2020, that God's word, the Bible, is totally sufficient in whatever you are facing at the moment or whatever you will face this year, 10 years' time, whenever. God's word is sufficient. And Paul reminds Timothy of that in that verse 15. He says, Timothy, remember how the scriptures, they show your need for a saviour. How the scriptures are sufficient in showing you how how God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to be your saviour. Well, Timothy, remember, it's these very same God-breathed words that you have to use in your ministry. Nothing less. These words are 100% sufficient for the tough tasks that you have to do, and he would have a tough task ahead of him. The Bible then is is God's tool for our hearts because it is totally sufficient. There's nothing else more suitable. Now I've got a picture of a a, a Stanley knife up on the screen there. And uh, when I was a child going around, my dad would always have a a, a, like a um, a pen knife, sorry, not a Stanley knife, a, a Swiss Army knife with him. And wherever we were going. You know, if you needed to open something or get a splinter out of your finger or wanted to magnify something or open some packaging or whatever, Dad would, within a second, just whip out his Swiss Army knife. It was this sufficient tool for all purposes. It was amazing. But God's word is far better than a Swiss Army knife, isn't it? Far more sufficient in all the tasks that we face. Whatever we face, God's word is sufficient. So whether we're thinking um, how we're going to speak to our friends when we go back to work or go back to college or, or uni, how are we going to talk to our friends about who Jesus is and what he has done for us? Well, we don't need to innovate. God's word is totally sufficient. But also, what about us as a church as we're thinking about you know, strategies for, for evangelism or, or, or for our work with the homeless, whatever it is? Well, actually... The Bible is totally sufficient. We don't need to innovate. Or when we're speaking to a friend who is depressed, the Bible is sufficient. Or we're writing a, maybe a, a special paper on mental health. The Bible is sufficient in all of these things. That's what Timothy needed to know. That's what we need to know. And that is the main point that I want us to see as a church this year. The Bible is 100% sufficient. And it's also authoritative. That's where this verse is often quoted and saying that the Bible has authority over all things, which is true. But the main point of this, this passage is that 
the Bible has sufficiency. But the Bible is authoritative in that the scripture has God's authority because God has spoken it. Unlike anything else. That it is true. And actually the truth and the authority of the Bible is something that will be often under attack. And it's been that way since the beginning. Think about Genesis 3. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan approaches them. And what's the first thing he does to tempt them? He questions the authority of God's word. Has God said that? That if you eat from that fruit you will die? Has he really said that? Is that what he meant? Or is that just what you heard him say? Is that how you've interpreted it? God wouldn't be like that, would he? Questioning the authority of God's word. And that's actually something uh, that the Church of England, in its doctrine, takes really seriously. If you go through into the chapel, you'll see some books. Book of Common Prayer. If you haven't got one, I heartily recommend you get one. And right at the back, it's got some things called the 39 Articles. And uh, two of these articles speak directly to the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture. And this is the doctrine of the Church of England. So, article number six says that Holy Scripture contains all things necessary for salvation. So that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man. Scripture is totally sufficient, the articles say, in matters for salvation. But it also speaks of its authority as well. Speaking about the authority of the church and how that fits in, saying that the church has power to decree ceremonies and rites and authorities and controversies of faith, and yet it is not lawful for the church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's word. If the church does that, it is not lawful. It has broken its own doctrine and rules. So the church recognises that the Bible has sufficiency and it has authority in all things, which is why it is God's tool for us and for our hearts. Secondly then, it is God's, oh no, that was the God's tool for our hearts, there we go. It is God's tool for our heads. Have a look with me at the second bit of verse 16. Realise we spent a while on just those few words. They're so packed full of meaning, it's amazing. So all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So along with the Bible being sufficient, it's really, really useful, Paul is saying. It's useful. It teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to behave, how to think, what to prioritise. And there are four things in this verse that Paul focuses on that scripture is particularly useful for. For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and for training. Firstly then, it's useful for teaching. And that idea of teaching, that's what doctrine means. It's the teaching of scripture. The teaching on what is right. What is true. What is good. What changes us. The scriptures teach us the truth. The truth in all sorts of different ways. The truth of who God has revealed himself to be. The Bible teaches us that God has revealed himself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, which is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. One God, three persons. The Bible teaches us the truth that Jesus is on one hand fully God and fully man. 
simultaneously. And what the church has done, and we we often say them uh, in our services here, is uh, we have these things called the creeds, which is where we, we affirm altogether what we publicly believe about what the Bible has said is true. The Bible also teaches us the truth of of who we are. That we are people who are in our sin, alienated from God, needing a saviour. The Bible also teaches us the truth of, of what the church exists for. To proclaim God's good news to the world. To be a, a demonstration of God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. So that's the first thing scripture is used for is teaching. It teaches us the truth. But we need to believe in its sufficiency and authority. Because if we don't do those two things first, we're not going to listen to its teaching. We need to get the first bit right. But if we do, then we listen to its teaching and what it teaches us is true. Secondly, Scripture is useful for rebuking. Now, this probably one isn't as popular. We like the idea of Bible, the Bible teaching us stuff, stuff that we can learn and, and, and makes us know more about God and us. But maybe we're not too keen on this idea of the Bible rebuking us. It sounds like quite a harsh word, doesn't it? The Bible telling us what is wrong with the world, what is wrong in our lives. As one person says, the real test comes not in what you say about whether you believe the Bible or not. Probably most of us here, well, some of us would would say, yeah, we believe the Bible. That's not the real test. The real test, the real fruit is shown whether we live it out or not where we listen to those hard rebukes and hard words. And rebuking specifically, what Paul is getting at here, it's concerned with moral issues. So so situations that Timothy might encounter in the church where people are are living a, a, a life that isn't suitable for someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, someone who claims to be a Christian. Rebuking is concerned with moral issues. But it's not bullying. It's definitely not bullying. It's rather coming along someone, as, alongside someone and urging them to change direction. Um, there was a video that was doing the rounds on the internet um, a few months ago of, uh, of this person um, caught on CCTV at a train station who looked obviously really upset. Maybe just, I think he would just broken up with, with his partner or something. And uh, this, this couple walked past him and could see something was wrong. And uh, they turned back at just the right time uh, this station, the, this express train was coming through and this guy started to run towards the tracks and about to jump in. As one of these people turned around with this superhero speed, managed to take this person out and land with them on the platform, stopping them before they made a terrible, terrible decision. That's the idea. It's getting involved in people's mess to stop them from doing something harmful to themselves or to others, something foolish which means it can't be looking down on someone. It's getting involved in their mess. So as we think about how we want to live out the truth of Scripture this year, well, we want to be people who are learning what the Bible teaches us, but we want to be people who are open to rebuke as well, of where the Bible corrects us, of where other Christians correct us, that we are open to that correction, that rebuking. But it also lists correcting alongside rebuking. Now, there is a slight difference. Correcting is, is not concerned with moral issues as much, but rather how to get it right. How to get it right. This is correction for, for false teaching, 
when people have been taught something false and they need gentle correction. This isn't a moral issue, it's to do with false teaching. And we might um, experience that in our own lives or see it in the lives of our friends or people in our small group or or people we, we, we hang out with. Perhaps people have read something in a book and it hasn't been helpful. And they think, oh, it's great, this, this new teacher, I've never heard of it before. And there's possibly a reason why they've never heard of it before. It's because it's no good. Or they've seen it in some video that someone's posted on YouTube or someone's told them about this, this great thing that, that you've never heard of before. And you think to yourself, I'm not sure that's right. I'm not sure that's what the Bible teaches. But it means that Scripture is useful so that you go away and you maybe speak to someone, or you certainly go and look in your Bible. Is that what the Bible actually says? And if it doesn't say that, if it says something contrary, well then you go and you gently go along to that brother or sister and you correct them. Not by saying, oh I think you're wrong, but by saying, let's look at this together. Let's look at what the Bible does say about this and learn together. This is for people who maybe inadvertently have taken a wrong turn, who unlike the picture they need to turn around with what they've been taught. And fourthly then, scripture is useful for training. And that is the process of how to stay right. How to avoid uh, falling into false teaching or into um, moral issues. This training, this is the idea of ongoing process of staying fit and healthy. That's why you train, to stay fit and healthy in your walk with Christ. And how does God do that in our life? Well, he does it in all sorts of ways, but primarily he does it through scripture, his sufficient, authoritative tool for us, for our hearts, for our heads. God uses scripture to train us by guiding us. And, and scripture guides us um, probably in, in two sorts of different ways. Sometimes scripture directly guides us, and it's quite obvious when that's, when that's happening. You might have a sort of an ethical quandary or something that you're, you're thinking about, should I do this, should I, shouldn't I do this? Is it all right for me to lie on my tax return? Is it all right for me to visit this website? God tells us, no, those things aren't suitable. We can, we can see that in our Bibles. God tells us how to behave like Jesus. Sometimes it's really obvious what we need to do. But sometimes God's word guides us indirectly. And that's sometimes where it can become a bit more challenging, where we can get a bit more stuck. Perhaps maybe it's in the issue of generosity. Maybe you're thinking about this year, well, do I, how much do I give? Should I, should I raise that? Should I, should I maybe lower that based on my income or outcome, whatever? Sometimes God's word directs us indirectly. And we have to look a bit more creatively to find out answers to those kind of questions. Because the Bible doesn't tell each one of us how much we should give to this charity, to that charity. It doesn't say But what it does do is it guides us indirectly. It tells us stories of God's generosity, of of different people's generosities. If we look in the book of Acts, we see the church's generosity in selling things and giving things to the church to alleviate poverty and neediness. We see generosity in all sorts of ways. We see generosity in God sending his one and only son to die for us. So the Bible doesn't tell us how specifically, but inspires us to want to be generous. So those are the four ways that scripture can be useful for us this year. And I pray that it will be for teaching us, for rebuking us, for correcting us and for training us. Lastly then, it is God's tool for our hearts, our heads 
and our hands. Have a look with me at verse 17. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul has told Timothy, Timothy, you have everything you need. Not only everything you need, but everything you could ever desire. You are thoroughly equipped for the task that you face. As one person put it, it is the word of God which equips God's people for the work of God. This isn't just so on our own we can feel good and enjoy those times when we read our Bible, experience God as we, as we read that. It's not just for us in our own lives to get better, but God has given us this sufficient authoritative tool, his word, scripture, so that we can do the work that he has called us to do. The word of God equipping God's people for the work of God. Equipped for for every situation that we face. The ones that we expect to face and the ones that take us completely by surprise. But how does the Bible equip us for for good works? Well, we've seen how it is God-breathed. It is alive to challenge and change us. It is useful for teaching and correcting us. But it also enables us to do the work that God has prepared for us to do. Every good work. And this is where you might have to think creatively this year. Think about Where is God's word going to equip me for the work that he's called me to do? That might be in the home, that might be in the community, that might be at university or school or college, that might be at work, could be anywhere. That's over to you to try and work out what that might be. It might be in parenting your four young children. Well, the Bible thoroughly equips you in that task for every good work. It might be in supporting your father with dementia, where the Bible thoroughly equips you for every good work there too. It might be speaking with courage at work with your friends about your faith in Jesus. Guess what? The Bible thoroughly equips you for every good work as you do that. I wonder what our confidence in God's word then looks like going into 2020. I wonder if we can honestly say that we have that confidence that God does equip us through his word for everything, whatever we face, whatever happens this year, whatever happens beyond. I wonder if we can say we have that confidence. And I wonder if we live that out as well. We live out that confidence that Paul says Timothy and we should have. Well, maybe you don't like the idea of New Year's resolutions and that's fine. So what about a whole life commitment a whole life commitment not a new year's resolution a whole life commitment will you commit this year to pray and actively pursue turning to god's word in all matters and if you need help with that well that's what the church is for that's what small groups are for we help each other to pursue turning to god's word in all matters We trust in its sufficiency and authority. That has got to come first. And then we submit to being challenged and changed by it. And then we let it equip us to live out our lives as disciples of Christ. So I wonder now whether you can pray with me that by God's grace all of us would commit to letting God's word transform us to look more like Christ. Even if that's a bit painful. 
I'm going to go back to uh, to this uh, this book of common prayer and read one of the prayers set in it that speaks of this. So let's bow our heads as we pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.